We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And this is another episode of Fusion Patrol. I think I just said that. Yes, Tonight we will be talking about a couple of things. First, uh, Ben, good to have you back. Missed you last week. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, I think I was... Oh, yeah, you you did the podcast a day early because you were going out of town. Yeah. A couple of days early because you had to go out of town. And I was out of town. Yeah, that's one of those those things. So that was a, a little interesting experiment there. And it's, it's good. I've got some, I got some good feedback and we'll play some. I, I would say it was pretty good. I listened to it and I, I agreed with a lot of what Michelle had to say. I was very impressed. Yeah, I thought she did, I thought she did pretty well. I, uh, we may uh, kind of set her up a little bit uh, kind of like we do with Simon and have her provide a few more commentary for the last couple of episodes for Doctor Who. I don't have any this week, but uh, but maybe next week I'll get her to sum up the last two episodes of the series for us. Yeah, I think it so, sounds like a good idea. Uh, so you didn't get a chance to talk uh, about the uh, Crimson, uh, Horror. Crimson Horror, which I was no. about to say the Nightmare in Crimson, but they... <laughs> The Crimson Horror. So, uh, what did uh, what did you think about it? We'll just give it a few minutes here. Well, just I don't want to go into too much detail, but uh, in short, I, I thought it was a, it was an okay episode. It sort of struck me as your um, average Doctor Who type story. I mean, it, it, it was okay. Um, I had a bit of a problem with the character that Diana Rigg was playing, uh, considering that this was supposed to be. Um, Victorian England, I think. Yep. And uh, here is this woman who was leading this huge quasi-religious movement. And for women to have that kind... I mean, it, it, it was rare. It did happen, but it was awfully rare to see a woman yield that much social influence. Uh, a woman like that needs a red leech behind her. Yeah. Or in front yeah. of her. So I, I found that to be a little bit, a little bit hard to swallow. Uh, I, I mean, there, I could, I could find all sorts of little nits and picks. And like, okay, now that's wrong, and this other thing is wrong. I like this, but I don't like that. You know, but I, I, I just won't, won't go into too much of that. Uh, I, I would say that for the most part, it, it was a somewhat enjoyable episode. It, it almost felt a little bit like a Doctor Light, though. Yeah, yeah. Because he, because his part in this was really. Minimal. You know what I thought was funny is that a lot of people have said this felt like a, a first, like a Doctor Light episode, but nobody has really kind of mentioned that it was also a Clara Light episode. I mean, she was in it even less oh, yeah, than I he know. was. It was all about the three, uh, the three, um, whatever they're, yeah, they're, they're, the gang, the gang. They call them something, but I've never figured out I why. I never remember the name. The Casa Nostra or something. Um, the Casa Nostra. <laughs> I can never remember what they call themselves. So, um, yeah, it's funny, this story, the, the one thing that I took out of it was that it, you know, yeah, we could pick on it, but I, it just didn't, it didn't inspire me to pick. No, it didn't. It's it's like, a, yeah, I mean, it's all right, fine. It's okay, it's fine. I mean, okay, so I was able to turn my brain off for 45 some odd minutes. Great. I'm done. Yeah. That's okay. I mean, like I said, there are all sorts of little things that I could say, okay, now, wait a minute. That, I mean, if, if we were to do a whole whole show on, on this episode... Yeah, then I got a list of things that I got problems with. But 
strangely enough, and yet I think you and I have both mentioned this, we both have thresholds of uh, where where if if the issues exceed that threshold, it, we then go into dislike mode avalanche of criticism right. mode precisely oh. and you know, like journey to the center of the tardis it it pegged that uh within the first few minutes of of that episode uh it didn't quite do that i, I it didn't it didn't cross that threshold limit with crimson horror but at the same time it didn't exactly inspire me as you said it it was simply there it was it was just it was harmless fun if all okay. the episodes this season had been that good, I'd have, I'd have probably been, I'd be, I'd be I'd, happy I'd with satisfied. the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I, I agree completely. Unfortunately, a lot of them have not been. They've been yep. crap. So one thing I did notice, though, and I don't know if you remember back, if you think back to Mask of Mandragora, uh, where this is the first episode, Sarah Jane's been hypnotized, and she notices for the first time, hey, I don't speak Italian. And that's the first time that we ever have to explain the translation circuits in the TARDIS. Right? It's one of those things where just being slightly off your perception suddenly makes you realize something. And I think doing the podcast with Michelle uh, made me realize something. They went back in time. Clara went to the wardrobe department. She got all gussied up like a Victorian lady. Who did her hair? Hmm. Good question. How did she uh, get that the tar- elaborate? Unless, exactly. That. Yeah. And unless the TARDIS has some sort of its own little hairdressing salon, which I really doubt. So now Mr. Moffat's going to have to address that someday in Doctor Who because that oh, issue is now will. out there. Oh, will. it's the TARDIS oh. hair telepathic circuits. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. But you know, that's that's something that that well, a lot of the female uh, Leela had experienced that too. She had her hair kind of done up once or twice. For the Victorian. That's right. Yeah. So we're going to go on to our discussion of uh, Nightmare and Silver, but first uh, we might as well uh, play in Simon's comments on the Crimson Horror as well, because I didn't get a chance to get him in last week either. So Ah. take it away, Simon. By rights, putting that much slapstick in an episode of Doctor Who should have irritated the socks off me. Yet even now I'm chuckling at the puerile Thomas Thomas gag. How did the Crimson Horror get away with it? I'm not sure, but I think it has something to do with its richness, its inventive and elaborate structure, its unwatchably horrific goriness, its daring backstory and clever plotting, its drama and its fabulous characters. The slapstick is part of that. More of everything means more comedy. It just works. And Eugene must be pleased, since in The Snowman, one of his criticisms was about the appearance of Madame Vastra and Strax, not causing anyone to react, so all that fainting must have delighted him. Since coming back as 45-minute episodes, Doctor Who has had issues with pacing. Introducing a whole new environment, new characters, telling a story and wrapping it all up is a tall order for the time available. The pacing has ended up uneven. This mini-season has taken quite a successful approach, which has been minimising the story to allow some atmosphere to develop and give it room to breathe. But even then, the stories have been too thin. Each one has had some obvious padding, just to sustain it to the full 45, never mind a two-parter. Somehow, in The Crimson Horror, Mark Gatiss has condensed a satisfying saga with a goodly group of protagonists to make 45 minutes feel feature-length. For the first 15 minutes, I was convinced we were getting a Dr Light episode. 
but that's fine with me. I always enjoy those. It also appeared to be a stealth pilot for a full series of The Veiled Detective. Also good? On the strength of that 15 minutes, I'd happily watch the full series. Diana Rigg was excellent, yes, perhaps a little OTT, but forgivable in the circumstances, and I adored Catherine Stewart's tribute to Mrs Peel's leather-clad action heroics. Even better was Rigg's real-life and on-screen daughter Rachel Sterling. The episode was properly scary, too. The processing and failed processing was quite horrific. So I could list the niggles, the sepia film flashback style was a bit OTT... I did think the condensed setup was effective, but still, the optograms were lacking in credibility and the effort to make it seem more credible actually made them less so. Surviving the rocket launch trapped in the shaft, etc, etc. It doesn't really matter. I don't even think I picked up on what the actual purpose of the processing was. The point is, the story was fabulous. I even enjoyed Angie and Artie's Clive Banks moment when they were showing the photos on screen at the end, but I hope that Clara makes the obvious assumption about a picture of her in Victorian London that she doesn't remember, and that is that she will go there in her personal future. Why assume something else? Okay, well then on with Nightmare in Silver, the much, much anticipated Neil Gaiman's sophomore effort at... Doctor Who, after his incredibly popular Doctor's Wife. Um, so this is, he's back now uh, with a promise of making the Cybermen scary. So let's start with the, uh, our traditional um, summary of the story. The Doctor Clara and her annoying charges, Angie and Artie, arrive at Hedgewick's World, the universe's largest amusement park, years after it's been closed. They meet Webley, a stranded inhabitant of the planet, and a military unit stationed on the planet. Webley demonstrates his amazing chess-playing mechanical Turk. It's a Cyberman. It turns out to be a hollowed-out Cyberman shell, being remotely operated by Porridge, a little person. The kids have some fun at the park, but the doctor refuses to leave. He's investigating tiny insect-like devices, which are actually the descendants of the Cybermats. These are Cybermites, and they're up to something. Clara learns that the Cybermen have been extinct for a thousand years and were only defeated by destroying an entire galaxy and all of its inhabitants. Webley is taken over by the Cybermites and upgraded, and a next-generation Cyberman is revived and captures Artie. The Cyberman then attacks the soldiers and kidnaps Angie. The Doctor pretending to be the missing emperor's pro-council, orders Clara to be in charge of the military unit, who are all misfits, and then he goes to rescue the kids. He tracks them down, but learns the new Cybermen can incorporate any biological species, and he is infected by the Cybermites and upgraded. Inside his own mind, the Doctor and the Cyber Planner battle for supremacy of the Doctor's mind and body by playing a game of chess. Meanwhile, the soldiers are picked off one by one, and Clara learns that the standing orders for a Cyberman outbreak is to destroy the planet immediately. The Doctor gains temporary control using a golden ticket and relocates to Clara's defensible castle, while a cyber army of three million awakens and marches on the castle. The Doctor first immobilizes the Cybermen by forcing the Cyberplanet to draw all their CPUs into winning the chess game, and then uses the distraction to free himself from the Cyberplanner's influence. 
Porridge then reveals that he is, in fact, the missing emperor, orders the planet destroyed, and they all escape in a transmat. The end. So how would this episode work for you, Ben? Uh, well, it didn't quite measure up like the doctor's wife did. Um, I had... I, I was pinning a lot of hopes on this one. And while it did not totally leave me feeling... Uh, oh, boy, how can I put this? Um, it didn't measure up, but at the same time, it, it wasn't a train wreck. However, I'm just going to go ahead and just scream out the big, the big TARDIS blue elephant in the room, and that is... This wasn't a Doctor Who versus the Cybermen episode. This was a Doctor Who versus the Borg episode. Yeah, <clears throat> big time. I uh, I found the episode to be, um, let's see, what's the word? Meh. That's the word. I mean, it was okay. The way the way I summarized it was, it it just sort of reminded me of your typical monster of the week kind of story that you got during the Tom Baker era. That's how it felt. I. I yeah, I, I like you say. We, there wasn't it wasn't anything there that I particularly hated. There were things that I could pick on, and, and there are things I will pick on uh, because it went over my pick on threshold. But but even then, it's like yeah, you know. I mean, I kind of enjoyed it. There were some good moments in it, yeah. and uh, and then there were some ex- execrably bad moments in it. Yes, um, all of them inside the Doctor's head come to mind. A lot of that. Well, there was some. There were one or two characters that uh, really grated on my nerves badly. But yeah, a lot of the stuff that was going on with the Doctor, and, and there's some continuity things that, <sighs> while I wouldn't exactly call them blatant violations, they, they, there's a lot of things that get called into question. Uh, you know, uh, so. Let's let's just let's pick on it if unless there's anything in particular. Uh, the kids. Oh my God. Okay. First, last last thing we saw at the end of the Crimson Horror is Clara showing up at the house, mm-hmm. and the kids kind of blackmailing her because they've somehow managed to acquire evidence that she's been time traveling. Yep. Which no one would believe. So that's not much of a blackmail. No, it's a very weak blackmail, except that we're going to tell Dad. Dad, yes. Um, So next thing we know, the episode opens up with the four of them. I don't even... Dr. Clara, Angie, and Artie all poking their heads outside of the TARDIS. And the big question that was running through my head is, I would have liked to have seen the... Uh, Clara tried to explain to the doctor why she's got to bring these rugrats along with her. I, I have this down on my I have this down on my notes because I feel like, well, first off, we don't even really see the kids at the end of the Crimson Horror blackmail her. They they are in the position of blackmailing her, but they never. I don't think they explicitly say anything. Uh, well, she I, says I, something like, "Well, what what do you want?" Well, I think they do and say something. They that they, no, they do make some mention about how they're going to tell Dad. Yeah, so they're they're. But that's it. But they're not saying what. They're not explicitly saying what the blackmail is. But it's it's a pretty empty threat. Right. It is a pretty Although empty threat. Although Clara did, Clara does blow it. But I'm but, wondering if if what they did was when this script came in, they said we don't have enough time to explain why the kids are on the, in our 45 minutes. So, and Crimson Horror is running a little short, so we're going to take you a know, scene makes, from, yeah. and we're going to put it on, but 
Because it felt like it. It felt like a tag-on. And yet, you're, you are absolutely correct. I don't feel like that we, we got enough story between the point where they try to blackmail her and the point where they arrive on the planet. Uh, right. You know, how, how hard was the doctor to convince? How hard did they have to, you know, how much did it clarify? All that stuff's not there. And by virtue of them completely and utterly omitting it, at the beginning of this episode, if you hadn't watched last week's, you just, you know, he's just got a couple kids on this thing. And, and I, I just didn't feel that that really, I don't think that worked. I mean, I think they, they should have at least expended two sentences of dialogue. Some kind of acknowledgement. Anything. And there, there was nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that was, I, I just didn't think that that worked very well. But here's the part that's even weirder. I mean, yes, we have the explanation that the the cyber planner and that's a new one yeah i think that's a stupid name what what's wrong with cyber controller i mean we've been using it all along but the cyber planner needs they first they said they need children for a new cyber planner okay fine um how does it for a new cyber planet no it's planner was a planner okay We need cyber children for, to new because they need their creative mind, yeah, their unlimited mind potential and whatnot. And then they just didn't need it because uh, of, of the doctor. So it's the arrival of the children on the planet that triggers the cybermites into activating their re regeneration mode or whatever we want to call it of the of the cybermen that are there on the planet. So they were necessary for that, but then. They were put into a walking coma and completely sidelined for the entire episode, which, you know, we could argue is a good thing, but from it, it, it just seems like they could have not gone to that length to well, bring it, the kids it, in the it, first place. It turned them into a cheap plot complication device. That's all. So I thought that they weren't used. I didn't like them, and I didn't think they uh, – actually, the boy well, didn't I did, bother me. I didn't like Angie. Yeah, the, like the boy Archie. was fun. Artie was okay, and that's the other thing. Angie was really out of character from the previous times we've seen her, and most specifically yeah. The Bells of St. John, where she seemed like, okay, she was a teenage girl, but she... She wasn't she the seemed, obnoxious... Oh, no, woman. she was just downright nasty in this one. I mean, to the point where when she goes to the barrack, and you had that the one... Um, the one soldier, she said, you know, where's your older sister? She said, Clara, she's not my older she's sister. Stupid. She's stupid. Yeah. Oh, wow. And then Clara walks in the door and says, like, oh, you ruin everything. everything. It's like, All what, the time. It's like, what was she ruining? Uh, I mean, you know, what, what was she actually ruining when she just walked in the door? Well, I thought there was something kind of really bold about her just going to the barrack. She's like, I'm bored. It's like, wow, what a attitude. Yeah. Yeah, fortunately, I was able to use that as a, an, a to show Michelle, and I said, "This happens to some teenage girls when they get to be teenage girls, and well, there will be consequences if this happens to you." Yeah. <laughs> so, so keep that in mind. Keep your raging teenage hormones in check when you get them. I'm not even sure that was raging teenage hormones. I think that was just teenage stupidity. Well, I think that's part of. It was, it was. She was just. I don't know. I never went through that phase. I don't know what. What I. I didn't go through that kind of attitude. Uh, but I don't know what was wrong with her. But I found her, and this. This is part of the problem with the story because she became so utterly obnoxious. Mm. I was I glad they myself, put her under a walking coma. Absolutely. Well, I, I found myself not caring what happened to her. That too. And in turn, I didn't care all that much about what happened to Artie, even though he was kind of innocent in all of this. 
Yeah, he, he was to willing right. to obey what the doctor said. You know, the doctor said, "Don't wander." And that's another thing. Hey, he he gives the, the to the kid the two kids this big lecture about you know when when he wants to investigate these uh, insects, as you will. He tells them, "Don't wander off," and he he makes a point of trying to spook them, and it seems to be successful. And then what? I don't know how many minutes later in real time. Uh, and she gets all pissy because she has no cell coverage in the future. And she decides to wander off and she just doesn't give a hoot about any kind of warning that the doctor gave her. I mean, she, she was just dumb. So, what, what happened with her cell phone? That's a good question. Why did it's they not- go to that? I mean, it did nothing. And then no. we saw the cyber mites kind of near her phone, as I recall. Oh, they were crawling all over to one point, And then there was a quick little message about uh, upgrade not possible or something like that. Yeah. And so then, uh, okay. And the doctor and then, gives her a new the, one. The, the TARDIS gives her the a TARDIS, new one. yeah. At the end. Want to bet that will come into play in the fields of Trenzalore? Oh, Maybe. Because I that was just too, too. You know, they couldn't, you couldn't spare one sentence for saying, "Hey, why are these kids on the TARDIS?" But you had to go to the effort to give her a new phone. Well, it's it's the it's a smoking gun thing. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to show the smoking gun in one act, you bloody well better use it in another. Yeah. So, um. Webley's World of Wonders. Did you notice, um, amongst other things, uh, that they had a tractator uh, in the background there? Oh, did they really? They did. I missed that. Uh, And also, I have heard that these were supposed to be our universe Cybermen. That's what I've heard, too. But they weren't. They certainly didn't seem it. Well, the reason you know that is because the, the three dead ones that he had in his collection were all Cybex. Cybermen. Mm. They all had the big C's. So these are just a thousand years after the Cybex Cybermen. Um, but that the, now felt like I was looking at uh, Iron Man rejects. <clears throat> Let's talk about the Cybermen then. I've never liked the Cybermen in the new series from a design standpoint because they're just robots. Yeah. They're not. They, I'm not in any way convinced that they're that they are. You know the vision of of Kit Peddler and Gary Jerry Davis, Gary Davis or Jerry Davis, Peddler and Davis, <laughs> Peddler and Davis, um, and their original Cybermen, which was you know the horrors of the <laughs> good old Doom Watch guys, the horrors of you know keep replacing body parts as they yeah. wear out until until your humanity has been taken oh, away. God. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, but these what? guys are robots. I don't care what they, they say about the. I don't care what Absolutely. they say about the body. They can detach their heads. They can uh-huh. detach their hands. They they still can't walk right. No. They can't. I don't care what they said. Ooh, Cybermen are going to be fast. No, they weren't fast. They had to go to stupid hyper reality time to make it look like the Cybermen was well, fast. The when thing, they should be like Steve Austin. Yeah, they the should be bionic that, fast, man. The other thing that really bothered me is that okay, if one of them is able to move that fast, I I mean it's why it's didn't they all just do that? Yeah, shouldn't they? Shouldn't the upgrade be universal? That's it kind of the like impression it. that I got. It looked like it, and of course they, you know, they just stomped along to the castle when they could have zoomed up there faster and than anybody could have precisely. seen and overtaken them instantaneously and had no problem at all. You know, one of the things that uh, I, I got to review Tomb of the Cybermen a uh, couple of couple of months ago, and when I watched it, one of the things that really uh, kind of haunted me 
is you really got to see about how you had these human type beings that were as you as you so adequately pointed out their humanity is being taken away from them bit by bit yep. as parts of them are being replaced and considering the era when that series was done I mean, there there was for a while there was this little paranoia in science fiction about uh, the t- technology uh, taking over people's lives. I mean, you, you, it was a theme that has you know, bubbled up to the surface, but it never really goes away in a lot of science fiction. It, it's it still hangs around there. And the Cybermen were the epitome of that, in my opinion. Plus, at the same time, you could also kind of make the case, you know, if you wanted to look at it from a horror standpoint, you know, you could you could you could equate them to like zombies or something. Mm-hmm. So it made for them to be a, a very effective villain. We did see a little bit of that in um, Age of Steel. I think it's Age of Steel. Uh, Rise of the Cybermen, Age of Steel, whatever it was, in, yeah. in the parallel universe, where he goes and he turns off the emotion suppressor, and you get that woman inside the Cybermen oh, who's yeah, crying. That, no, that was freaky. But you know those Cybermen, even even still, they're I don't know they just they're too robotic. And they are. That's just a design issue, and I did, I don't like it. But I didn't like it in these upgraded ones. And I there's another thing that I really didn't like about these Cybermen. That's um, worse than it's ever been in the past. One was the Cybermites are basically it seems extruding matter from I don't know from their butts. Where did they what did they get the material in those seconds to create the cyber implant that got put on the doctor or the kids or Webley? They seem to be able to infect and just like instantaneously that cyber implant came out of nothing. And then when the doctor fried it, the cyber implant disappeared. It didn't like fall off or burn out or something. It just no, it was gone. It was just gone. And the same is true with this constant upgraded. They seem to be physically altering their bodies, although we didn't see any of them grow anything. But, you know, like the resistance to the cyber weapon, the resistance to the electricity, those aren't just programming upgrades. Those are physical operations. That's hardware upgrades somehow. Yeah. How are they doing that just by doing their thing there? Uh, well, that's and that's where I really started to think uh, this that this felt more like Borg out of Star Trek, being able to physically adapt to any new situation. Well, at least the Borg are doing facing. things like modulating the shields that they already have to different frequencies, right? And things like that. So they're not like suddenly physically manifesting new parts or no. So, so I, I think the Borg are better done than the Cybermen, and I think that the Cybermen acting is a poor man's Borg in this story, and I really didn't like it. No, there's also the Siberian, which apparently is a network, so now the so now the Cybermen are a collective. Yeah. That's a new one. Well, in a parallel processing. Um, it's like SETI at home, only uh, it's the Cybermen. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I didn't like that. And of course you have I guess all three million of them were there on the planet, so we can say conventional radio waves could work. But does that work when they're crossed uh, across light years? 
on different planets? Are they all part of a collective that can somehow communicate through, what, subspace communications? Like the Borg? I don't know. You know, that, and that was the other thing. Where did all those? I mean, were, were the 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 remaining Cybermen? They were just instantly constructed, I assume. No, I think that that the Doctor at one point said, and they confirmed that they were basically stealing missing people. So they had a hospital on this planet, and every time uh, a Cyberman got ill, they sent it to this hospital. They used the people as spare parts, and you and then put them back in, basically in the tombs, like they had on Telos. They were all in tombs waiting for uh, the time that they had a cyber planner to uh, give them purpose. And so, but it seems like they could have come up with a cyber planner earlier while the kids were still going, but they didn't get they didn't get around to that till after the park closed down. That didn't make a lot of sense. And <clears throat> and what about that that cyber planner when he's taking over the doctor? Should he be so emotional? No. I had a huge problem with it, you know, it was strangely enough, when we see the duel happen inside the doctor's mind, to me that actually felt a bit more uh, quote unquote realistic in terms of personalities. But when we saw, you know, when when we're when we're being the third person and we're watching the doctor behave in this horribly schizophrenic sort of manner, I could not believe and other people seem to think that this is perfectly logical, but I do not accept it, that the doctor would be as equally equally um, whacked out regardless of whether he is in control or the cyber planner is in control. Yeah, I mean, I, I just didn't like the device at all. No. Of, of the two of them going back and forth. I felt that wasted a lot, a lot of time in this story. Um, and and to me it it made it comical. So that's one of the nice things again, you know, I'm gonna go back to Tomb of the Cybermen. I mean, even though there were moments of some amusement, you know, it was, it was a Trouton episode, there were also moments that were very serious, very scary. We did not get that. Mm-hmm. And I think if they really wanted to deliver the seriousness of what's going on here, it would have made for a better story if the doctor had behaved very unemotional, very cyber-like, if you will, and then and then watching you know him fighting back and forth, you know his regular his normal self versus the cyber self, because there again you're reinforcing at least through the acting you're reinforcing this notion of having your humanity taken away from you and that's supposed to be a very scary thing and instead we're not getting that yeah and and you know one of the big things about the cybermen is that they had their emotions removed i mean that's from the 10th planet on that's right. been a big thing and the cyber planner mr clever himself oh. is saying that in a very emotional way you see doctor emotions have done you down it's like but you're being triumphant you're being, and you're you're being you're being emotional and you're being uh you know dancing around and it it, it just it just didn't it make was not any convincing sense. it wasn't convincing it wasn't i yeah <laughs> you know, and here's the other thing. Again, to this, uh, what was it that Neil Gaiman said he wanted to do? He wanted to create a story. He wanted to make the Cybermen scary. Well, guess what? 
if you want to make the Cybermen scary, then you need to make your story scary. You know, he made the Cybermites scary. They were a little creepy. Yeah, all the tension in the story, for the most part, to me, came during the moments when the Cybermites were doing their thing. Like when they were chasing Artie and around and, and that was... Those were the moments of genuine kind of like discomfort. Yeah, yeah. The Cybermen themselves, no, no, no. They just came across as as your villain of the week, and I find it very odd. Not something so devastating that you have to just blow up a planet. No, if you meet four of them, and I keep jumping back to Tomb of the Cybermen because I I think this really is such a standout episode. As far as the Cybermen go, and I mean, it's, it's not because this is an early, uh, an early Doctor Who episode. I've seen countless Cybermen episodes, you know, before watching Tomb of the Cybermen for the very first time, and yet I watched it just a couple of months ago, and that episode spooked me. Why can't I get that now? Yeah, you know, why can't they deliver that kind of a story now? I, I think. I, I really don't know, but I mean, if you if you work your way back through, like I said, I don't really like the, the rise and and the age of steel. I don't really like Doomsday. Um, I I just the new Who Cybermen don't just don't nope, work for me. So if you go, but if you go back to the old ones, um, Silver Nemesis is dire, <laughs> um, to put it mildly. Um, their appearance in the Five Doctors is comical. Their Earthshock is okay. Earthshock's not a bad story, and the Cybermen are a little bit more threatening. Revenge of the Cybermen, terrible. Yeah. Um, of course, they didn't appear during the Pertwee era. No, then then the, the previous time to that was Troughton, and would that be Tomb? Invasion, probably. Oh, invasion, of course. And That's Invasion right. is a good story, but it is a bit long, and it's it's kind of light on the Cybermen, really. It's it's mostly about Tobias Vaughn and his yeah his, his stuff, machine. but it's it's a it's a good story. Tomb of the Cybermen is a, is an excellent one. I suspect that the Cybermen are creepier back when we're closer to the the Peddler Davis, uh, either writing or uh, ideal of of what they are and and what they're trying to accomplish, and it just hasn't been. Uh, Come on. What, what is this stuff about, oh, they've got an allergy to gold when they came up with In Revenge of the Cybermen? Right. And you're just like, okay, that's stupid. And it just gets stupider. And I I think Gaiman was even making a joke about it in this episode when he used a Willy Wonka golden a Willy ticket, Wonka gold ticket to which, disable. And then, of course, there was, they were working on an upgrade to be able to beat that. Yeah. Why is it that gold actually damages Cybermen? We have that. In canon, it's non-corrosive. It clogs, it clogs their breathing apparatus. Right, exactly. Which, of course, has to tell you that they breathe. Which I can't see them doing now because now they're robots. Yeah. They, they seem to have, you know, what's the point of having any biological material at all in them? I don't know, you know, what biological material are we talking about? A brain? Is that the only thing that's left? That's the only thing that I can imagine, and uh, I'm 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 going on a, a serious limb here. The only thing I can figure is that maybe the helmet 
is capable of containing uh, an organic brain and providing it with all the nutrients it needs in order to continue to function. But that's it. Yeah, if they've forgotten that whole part, if you've got organics, you have to sustain the organics somehow. Right. Can you but, imagine and, the Cybermen sitting around the table eating dinner? <laughs> having a having a bowl of gawk <laughs> or something. Telling jokes. No, not really. Yeah, me neither. But having them be able to just disassemble themselves. Which and this is not the first time we've seen them do it. They did it in the Pandorica opens. Yep. Where parts of Cybermen were, were trying to reassemble themselves. And that's when I really began to question the whole idea uh, about what the Cybermen really are these days. Yeah, it's like it's the equipment needing biological parts as opposed to augmenting Precisely. biological parts. It's, it's Yeah, it, it didn't. Uh... I mean, it, it really is a case of putting the cart before the horse and as, as far as developing uh, an, an enemy and the other thing that's uh, okay, so we we don't really know where or, or when I should say this story is taking place in 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 the universe. We don't know what what year it is in relation to Earth. We're not sure. We know it's the future. That's well, all. Yeah, I would say that's a safe bet. Um, and then we get this story from Porridge, which, by the way, what a terrible nickname. Yeah, I wonder where they came up with that. I mean, yeah. is that supposed to mean something? I don't know, but it it feels kind of derogatory. I mean, I did not get the Thomas Thomas joke last in last week's uh, Crimson. Oh, we uh, did. I didn't. I didn't get that one until somebody pointed it out like five times before I finally go. Tom, oh, Tom, Tom. Tom. <laughs> yeah, Thomas Thomas. Is yeah. that a GPS company in Britain? Do they have a Thomas Thomas GPS? Never heard of it before. Just not. <laughs> did not. It just sink. wasn't sinking in. Nope. nope. Yeah, that that was so. Then you know, I didn't think it was a terrible joke. But anyway, is there a joke here? Porridge? Is it something? Is it just a know. word he pulled out of his butt? I I don't know. It it just it just. I'm felt- having. I need a character name. Oh, I'm eating porridge for breakfast. Let's call him Porridge. Yeah. Well, then you got that one so- soldier says she talks to her porridge. Yeah. Or he talks to his porridge. Yeah. So, anyway, there's this porridge is telling Clara about. How they managed to beat the Cybermen. Oh, that's that's on my notes too. Yikes. Did did so I mean it was very clear in this episode, wasn't it, that the Cybermen have been extinct for a thousand, thousand years. years. Yeah. Didn't it sound like Porridge was saying he was the guy who pushed He's the, the button? He's the guy who pushed the button. That sure sounded like it. Now I thought that too. I went back and listened to it again and I, got I suppose you could say he's thinking that he is the man now with the responsibility that he might someday have to blow up a galaxy, and so he feels sorry for the guy who had to do it. But Maybe. it doesn't come off that way. No, no. I, I watched it again uh, just uh, yesterday and thought, hang on a minute. Plus, this, this this feels like he's saying that he was the one who had to do it. And the military still has standing orders after a thousand years. Blow up a planet to in blow case up a planet. Cyberman infestation? And they have a cyber gun and they have the cyber devices. Like, I mean, okay, they were a dangerous, deadly enemy. But really, a thousand years? I'm surprised it's the same government. 
other you know thing what that I mean? Com- yeah. The other thing that surprised me is how did they manage to corner... I mean, how did the Cybermen actually end up in that part of the universe? And just They were stuck in well, it was it the Tiberian galaxy. Yeah. I don't know. How they just they have, all end up there? Maybe that's just where they... Where they now live? That's where they were doing their invasion. Yeah, I don't know. It didn't make any sense. It's like, okay, no. we'll just blow up the galaxy. It happens to be all the Cybermen are there. Oh, except for those ones that we didn't know about on this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the other hand, maybe... Maybe the, this extinct a thousand years is a, is a bit of a lie. They've been extinct as a race for a thousand years, but we run across one every few years, and we have to blow it up or blow up the planet or whatever just to make sure that the infection isn't still out there. But I didn't get that impression. I didn't get that impression. I mean, no. what, it makes sense, but that's not what the story appeared to be. That, that's no. not what it was telling me. That's not me. what it told us. That's right. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to rationalize an irrational um, argument. Yeah. So, um, and I was particularly, uh, you know, I was particularly impressed at how um, well thought out and logically uh, following from all the events that occurred that the solution to the story was that, uh, oh, blow it up, transmit takes us away. Yeah. That was piss poor ending. <laughs> You know, of all, it felt it's like very weak. It's like really, that's. I mean, you know, it's like and the TARDIS, and then the Doctor can rattle off the coordinate, the planetary coordinates, you know, to a degree that's sufficient to beam up the TARDIS. I just, I just really, it's like it, the, the ending was as rushed as not mentioning the kids yeah. at the beginning. It was like we just don't have enough time. To put in the scene of the Cyberman with his head off, and the Cyberman turning his head around, and the Cyberman who drops his hand off and it walks away, which strikes me as a completely useless attack. I mean, the Cyberman knew where she was, and she was terrified, and he's totally immune to her weapons. Why didn't he just turn around and grab her, instead of dropping his hand off and sending it? Good question. Don't get it. It was yeah. just there to make it. It was just there to make it scary. Yeah, and it failed. The only thing that I, the, the doctor felt very ineffective in all of this. The only thing that I really seemed to get out of uh, out of him in, in terms of his role in this story is some sort of a, a modern retelling of an Igmar Bergman film, where a person and death play chess. Yeah, uh, that's what that's what this was. It w- it was a modern. It was that in it, it, this time the stakes were the kids. Honestly, you know that film, which it embarrasses me that I cannot think of its name for the Neither moment. Neither can I. I I'm dri- driving me nuts. <laughs> famous, very famous film. I've seen. Oh yeah, it, and I cannot right for the life of me think of what it is. Um, but you know something, that's a film that does need a modern day remake. No. It stands on its own. And I and don't yet, know if this was an homage or... That's how it felt. But I just... I Yeah. I, 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 meh, I med through this episode from one end to the other, but there were things that were 
you know, like the sister being so obnoxious and stuff coming out of nowhere. That one, that one really bothered me. I do think there was one thing in here that might be important, and we'll have to find out, but it might be important. And that is the Cyberman makes a comment about the Cyber Planner. Mr. Clever! Sorry, let's yeah. call him Mr. Clever. Makes a comment about how there's no record of the Doctor in the Cyberman's files. And, and he goes, oh, very clever, but you know you could be reconstructed by the hole you left behind. And the Doctor says, oh, I shall have to do something about that. Well, okay, <laughs> he's right. But again, it's a piece of dialogue that really is it's like the kids in the mobile phone. Are we going to find next week that somebody has tracked the doctor down by the holes he left behind? Hmm. Or was that line of dialogue just utterly pointless? Don't know. Don't know. Oh, by the way, that Bergman film, The Seventh Seal. Oh, The Seventh Seal, of course. (sighs) Of course. Part of the Criterion Collection, yes. as it happens. Um, so, all right. Um, have we got anything else on this yeah, episode? The only thing, and maybe maybe this is something that I missed. Um, where did the Cybermites exactly come from? We know that they are sort of descendants of the Cybermats, but... Were they just kind of like biding their time? Yeah. Just waiting? I think that's exactly right. I think they were waiting for kids to come back to this planet. Because it seemed like awfully convenient for them to just magically show up. Yep. (laughs) But I guess, you know, if you you, uh, TARDIS down into a nest of of a cyber hospital that's got automated cyber might defenses and they're on the prowl for something. I, yeah, I, I was having some problems with what the cyber mites were doing, but I think that's not unreasonable. If you need a kid, you just leave somebody behind waiting for a kid and then go on from there. It's like, okay, we've got a kid. Now reactivate one cyberman. Go get the kids. Upgrade them. Have a cyber planner. Bring the army out. Let's go back know, I, on that. I keep getting the feeling that there is that there's something that is just not answered in terms of how the Cybermen are all functioning. I mean, it, it, there's, there's there's a really weird paradox going on here that I can't quite put my finger on, and it's it's really bugging me. And I don't know, I'm going to be thinking about it a lot. It's sort of like a chicken and the egg kind of conundrum. I don't know. Do you have anything else? I mean, I really this episode just kind of left me largely it, yeah it i mean like i said it wasn't it wasn't bad but i don't think it was very well thought out yeah it's a, as they say there's a sophomore slump and this was it yeah second episode it was like a lot, a lot of people loved it um apparently uh, uh well i mean even neil gaiman tweeted that i think he tweeted 80 20 Instead of the comments he'd seen, 80 in favor, but 20 really hated it. And um, he, I think he retweeted a couple of people. that, that the, the review in the Radio Times was absolutely uh, excoriating of this oh, thing. Oh, really scathing, huh? Yeah, it was. It was they, 
disliked it to a T and I I didn't dis- you know I agreed with almost all the points that they raised putting it in the category with things like Nightmare of Eden and the points that they brought out were bad and and I agreed with all of the points I just don't get the I don't actually get the scathing hate for it right I just get a sort of eh, out of yeah. the story it really left me it left me nonplussed yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's not the kind of scathing hate like I got with Draining to the Center of the Tardis or Rings of Akaten. Yeah. So. And that was, that was vitriol. So, series moving upwards then. Yeah, a tiny bit. <laughs> I mean, now we've gone from pure hate to um, sheer ambivalence and apathy. Before we go, let's uh, see what Simon thinks about the Nightmare in Silver. Take it away, Simon. Another Neil Gaiman episode was something to look forward to. The bad memory of last time the Cybermen appeared in the penultimate episode of the series was just a silly niggle, surely. Unfortunately, no. This one did turn out to be more closing time than the Doctor's wife. Was it necessary to make the Cybermen scary again? Did they stop being scary or just get dealt a few duff stories? The problem with a Cyberman that can now move at something close to light speed is it's not just scary, it is, to all intents and purposes, invincible. And how come Angie didn't suffer whiplash being carried away so fast no one could see her go? The only way, it seems to me, you can tell a story in which such a monster is defeated is to escalate the hero's power or weaponry to equally magical heights, such as a big magic gun that fires magic red lasers, for example. Or just forget the Cybermen can move that fast and have them go back to lumbering again later in the episode when they enter your castle. There are interesting ideas in this story about the Cybermen. The Cyber Wars, for example, although I did think that was done better in the spin-offs in the Orion Wars. Autonomous detachable body parts, but that's surely something that should be limited to non-organic parts, so not a head, you'd have thought. Or the Cybermites, though they did seem quite large to be convincingly uh, able to enter the human body that easily. But anyway, throwing ideas to page doesn't create a compellingly structured story, and nor did the production help in this instance. We're so used to Doctor Who looking fabulous now that the obviously studio-set theme park jarred terribly. The platoon appeared to be clad in plastic toy armour, and there appeared to be no attempt made to match the CGI ruined planet background with the foregrounds. Warwick Davis did, it's true, give a fabulous performance, but the reveal seemed an unnecessary twist and rather cheapened his character. The Doctor tussling inside his own mind is not a new idea. I think this was probably first done in The Three Doctors. But while it's been made to work in the audio plays, I don't think it's successful on screen. And in this instance, nothing changed my mind. Okay. Nightmare and Silver wasn't quite as bad as Closing Time, but it edges out Angels in Manhattan as my least favourite story in this current, otherwise generally good, series. Well, if we've got nothing else on this episode, uh, I wanted to play in a piece of feedback sent in to us uh, by Kevin, Kevin from, Batchelder. The Batchelder, from the Saturday B-Movie Reel podcast which, which is I, which i do listen to quite a lot and yeah i like i like listening about a lot of the old movies uh particularly when he gets into the old ones like uh, they did one on the monolith monsters, monsters. Yeah, monsters. one of my favorites from when i God, was a, what a kid piece of crap that movie is i loved that film as a kid i'm hoping that he does stella star 
Oh, no, there's a dog. But God, what a fun one. Uh, he has some general comments, and let's play them in, uh, in now. Hey, guys, it's Kevin Batchelder. Just wanted to offer some uh, general comments. I found the podcast fairly recently. Been uh, listening to several of your recent episodes. I think uh, Ben mentioned it on one of the Slice of Sci-Fi. Or he mentioned on Slice of Sci-Fi his other podcast and then uh, you know mentioned the name to me. So I've been checking out some of your recent episodes and enjoying some of your discussions. Uh, I must say I'm very impressed with the uh, knowledge, especially of Doctor Who. Uh, you know, uh, uh, trust me, as I mentioned to Ben on Twitter, if uh, the Glover family... Uh, is ever in a uh, trivia contest, I'm going to run far away because I'm going to be made to look very bad, regardless of the age of the entrant. So uh, very cool, though. I enjoyed that special uh, Doctor Who episode uh, recently. Uh, so that was kind of neat. So I'm listening and checking out as you go. I did go back and check out your uh, podcast you did uh, a, a while back, probably last year, uh, talking about uh, favorite TV shows, that whole uh, top 10 that was done by another magazine where you folks commented on the entries there and then gave yours. It was really interesting, and I always find these interesting, uh, being a big genre TV fan myself, naturally. Uh, but I was quite surprised uh, that you really weren't big fans of Buffy or Farscape or maybe even not too much of Firefly. I know those are often staples and are certainly you know some of my all-time faves. Uh, when we did our uh, top genre shows a couple of years back on our podcast, and I had to put my list together. Uh, shows like Farscape and Buffy were certainly in my top five. Uh, I go more for the emotional side. You folks uh, did a good case for why you picked the shows you picked. For me, it's more my emotional attachment to the show and then also a bit to the fandom because I'm very much a community watcher and love to uh, find other fellow fans. Uh, one thing you did say, and I never try to convince people to watch shows that aren't for them, So, uh, uh, but you did talk a great deal about how one of the things you liked, I think it was about Blake Seven, was the great dialogue. Um, so if you really are, if that's really important to you, then I do highly recommend maybe you take some time to watch certainly Buffy and also Farscape. Uh, both shows, like many other shows, are a little slow getting started. You know, their first season is definitely not their best. But you're going to find some quite witty stuff there, and certainly for me, uh, very much with Buffy and also Farscape to a slightly less degree. The emotional attachment to the show and the characters is pretty pretty special. Uh, so... Just one guy's opinion, though. But again, I do appreciate your efforts on the podcast. Look forward to them. And I uh, hope you take care. Well, thank you, Kevin, for the awesome kind words. You, and, uh, and, and I'll keep in mind not to, uh, not to invite you to a Doctor Who trivia game unless there's <laughs> money involved. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we, you know, I think on a later episode, we'll talk a little bit about the, the Buffy and the Farscape and, and, uh, Firefly stuff. Uh, I don't honestly remember from our top ten episode whether or not I was particularly. Um, I, I don't recall being like I hate those shows. Uh, I just I recall being I've just never gotten into them. Although I I, I sure do think I, Sarah Michelle Geller is just cute as a button. I uh, did but. get into Farscape and Firefly, but. Unfortunately, they didn't, you know, and I'm going to get crucified for this. They didn't rank high enough for, uh, to hit my top 10. Yeah, I, um, yeah, and, and that's, it was, I mean, it's that, all that was a tough, it was a, yeah, it was a very tough call. And, you know, I, I'm, I acknowledge that I have some, um, I mean, our, our tastes uh, are rather eccentric. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lie on that. 
There's no doubt about that. I mean, I hear I know one of my top ten was you know, Die Ranger. I mean, oh, they just said that, Gilligan's that, Island. No, God, oh no, Die Ranger. Which I mean, that's that's pretty left field. It is. It is. All right. Well, uh, in that case, um, thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when we will be talking about the series finale, the name of the Doctor, and all fervently wishing that we don't know the name of the Doctor. With any luck, it will not be told to, to us. us. All right. And good night. Cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Leave us a review on iTunes. Or stop by and visit at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. Search for Fusion Patrol. Or just drop us a note at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf.